Hey, hey, church, how we doing today? Yes. Man, I am excited. I'm excited because it is church and we get to hang out and be together, celebrate communion. I'm excited because it's the first day of fall, winter in Florida and I can wear a jacket. I've lived here for two years and I've been waiting for a real reason to wear a jacket and I get to do it today. I'm excited because you're here as well. I'm also excited because I'm actually really loving this series. Last week, we started a series on how to be rich, not how to get rich. Um, we're not talking about a prosperity gospel. We're not talking about feeling bad for what you have. We're talking about what you do with what you have and uh, I'm really excited about just God speaking to our hearts but the thing I'm probably most excited about is that today you're gonna get to hear from somebody that you need to hear from I know that a lot of you um, you've been going here a long time but several of you this has become more recently your church maybe in the last year or two and you've only ever known me as your pastor what you need to understand is that um, there is a unique heritage and legacy to this place and when God has a vision for a community or a church he needs a person to carry it out and 33 years ago, God gave and birthed that vision in Dennis and Linda Gingrich. And they have been so faithful and so consistent in carrying that out. And everything that we have, everything that we do, everywhere that we're going, even the vision we have for the future, which is awesome, uh, is built on the faithfulness of yesterday. And um, Dennis handed off the lead pastor position 10 years ago to Pastor Wes, but has stayed on full-time staff, carrying so much weight, leading and serving the city, serving our church, doing so much for the community. And, uh, and he is going to come give the word today. And I can't think of a better person to, to hear from than the, the founding father of our church. And the, the Bible's pretty explicit on giving honor where honor is due. And so can you help me in honor our founding pastor, Pastor Dennis Gingrich? Thank you so much. I, I love working alongside uh, Pastor Corey and our team, uh, and I'm honored to be a part of this series, a three-part series that Pastor Corey kicked off last weekend on, um, on being rich and how to be good at it, uh, being good at being rich. Uh, it's an acquired skill in a nation like ours that's arguably the richest nation in, in, uh, in the whole world. Uh, I think there's oftentimes a significant gap between uh, being rich and being good at it uh, because it's not what you have. It's what you do with what you have. And Pastor Corey reminded us that God wants us to enjoy what we have. The scripture reminds us to enjoy what we have. God wants us to have our money and not our money to have us. And there's a significant difference. So we're in this series, and we're looking at what Apostle Paul, uh, one of the greatest leaders of the first century, wrote over half of the New Testament. Uh, he's passing on some very pivotal thoughts and principles to his young mentor, uh, Timothy. And uh, to his young leader, he writes these words that we looked at last week in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And Pastor Corey unpacked the treasures that are in that passage. He talked last week about, well, oftentimes we live in denial. Uh, we are plagued with discontent. And we suffer from this thing called migration of hope, where we start putting our hope in our provisions, which are uncertain, the Scripture says, rather than putting our hope in the provider. 
And last week he used this, this, uh, this graphic to show that uh, oftentimes, you know, when we get started and at first we, we put our hope in, in God and we, you know, when you, when you don't have much, you got no other hope oftentimes. And, and, you know, and it maybe is easier at that point. Then this subtle thing happens as our income grows and, and we accumulate more stuff and we gain more financial stability and security and that dial starts to move back and it comes and sometimes it ends up all the way over here where our ability uh, is what we have put our hope in. And today, I want to move us into verse 18, the next verse, because Apostle Paul there talks about how we uh, keep our hope from migrating to our provisions and to keep our hope focused on the provider of all provisions. Now, I don't know, uh, most of you know it's flu season, people at work, other people coming down with the flu. I got my flu shot several uh, weeks ago, and about that same time I was reading something uh, about this guy named Edward Jenner. I didn't recognize his name when I first saw it, but he had this crazy idea back in uh, 1783 in Europe when there was an epidemic uh, of, uh, of smallpox and 80% of the kids caught it and parents were scrambling uh, to uh, keep them secluded and uh, not get exposed to it. And Jenner had this different approach. His approach was he believed it was possible to, uh, for, uh, to people to be immune to this disease, so he went toward the problem instead of hiding from it. And Jenner's idea was to expose people to, uh, you know, the fluids from an active cowpox. Boy, I mean, it's really gross. Sounds nasty. But sure enough, the people who followed Jenner's treatment seemed untouchable, and they somehow survived through the severe outbreaks uh, around them. Well, we all know now, hundreds of years later, that uh, uh, some of the most horrible diseases in the world are now under control thanks to the use of uh, immunizations and, and, and the fact that it traces back to the work of, of Jenner. And I know some of us are grateful. We haven't had flu in a few years because we get a flu shot each year. But Apostle Paul taught that there's an antidote, there's an immunization, there's, there, there's something that will help us from this thing of migration of hope, this subtlety that begins to happen in our lives as we gain more, grow more in our security of our wealth, especially in our North American culture. And this next verse that we look at in verse 18, I think gives us some help. So here is what he says next after what we just read. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, what he's saying here, that the antidote to this migration of our hope, to go away moving the needle back toward ourselves, is, is generosity. He said, that's, that's the antidote right there. Now, I just want to say, I am so proud of this church. I am so proud of, of the fact, I think we do that first part of doing good and being rich in good deeds exceptionally well. You are amazing. Last month we did the, 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 the meal packing for Haiti. That was the second time we did that this year. We've done 110,000 meals for Haiti. We had 700 volunteers both times. It was amazing. Three quarters of a million people in Haiti could be fed through what? you all did. 
We did Serve Day last November uh, where we had a 1,000 plus people come out and serve our city. And uh, we're doing another one in March. Uh, so you'll get to participate in it if you didn't last time. And Helping Hands Fund all year long. Uh, hundreds of people every year are, 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 you know, pay electric bills and medical bills and rent and food and all kinds of things. Uh, in three weeks uh, from now, we'll be back down on Cape Coral Parkway at a Holiday Festival of Lights. And uh, hundreds of volunteers uh, will help provide this huge area where we have all of these inflatables. They're all free. A rock climbing wall that's free. Face painting that's free for thousands of kids. Uh, we do that every year. And uh, that takes hundreds of volunteers. And by the way, we still need about 200 volunteers. Uh, so if you just text that number that's on the screen, uh, get signed up for that. It's coming up in three weeks on December 7th. But Cape Christian, you rock. You, you rock this thing of, of, of being rich in good deeds, that first part of that verse, in an amazing way. Now, I just want to also give a little challenge because as we look at the second part of the verse, our statistics show that about 15% of the people in this church carry most of the financial weight of the church to make the vision of impacting our world a reality on a week-to-week -week basis. So I'm going to talk to the other 85% of you for a few moments and challenge the 15% as well because we don't want to miss out on maximizing our effect in transforming our community and transforming our world. And I believe that we really need to pump up, ramp up a little bit on this second part of verse 18, this challenge to be generous and willing to share. We need to have some fresh intensity in that. Now, I know there's a problem in our world. The problem is that this word generosity, it's hard to define. It's kind of like Pastor Corey said last week. Rich is hard to define. We can't really define it very, very well. And here's what I've kind of observed over the years, that, uh, that many of us think we are less rich than we really are, and many of us think we are more generous than we really are. I don't think I've ever met a person who thinks he's stingy or greedy but this thing of being generous, it's one of those words that's just so open to our own interpretation. There's no real grading system. Reminds me of PE class in middle school. You're pretty much guaranteed a passing grade if you just show up in a body, any shape or any size. You're going to get a passing grade. And I think this thing of generosity is kind of, kind of a little bit like that. I mean, you give a dollar to the, uh, maybe a five to the homeless guy at the exit ramp on the interstate, you know? You're generous. You, you drop your change in one of those Salvation Army uh, kettles at Publix or Target or whatever, you're generous. You give directions to a lost German tourist, you're generous. You <laughs> smile at a stranger and let them in the merge lane crossing the midpoint bridge. You consider yourself generous, right? And, that, and, and that's true, but it likely won't be the kind of generosity that keeps your hope from migrating over into God, pointed at God, back to being pointed toward yourself. We need something more. We need an antidote. We need an immunization, something. And Jesus talks a lot about that. And there's other places in the scripture that talk about this whole thing of generosity uh, many times. And I, I think there's like three common themes that tend to emerge uh, in the Bible. And I think it gives us a better picture of what it looks like to be generous so that we can slow down that migration thing that just tends to happen in our lives, that migration of our hope. And in fact, 
one of the best ways uh, some of you purchased this book. We have more available at the Connections Counter, Andy Stanley's Be Rich. And he actually, he just calls them the three Ps, uh, the three Ps that are necessary to, to slow down this migration of hope. The first P stands for priority, priority giving. Now, think about it. Jenner's solution uh, was to apply the immunization before the outbreak of smallpox occurred. Same is true with generosity. It won't happen unless you make it a priority in some way in your life. Now, believe it or not, I've had people say to me, Pastor, I just really want you to pray for me because if I win this lottery or the big, or the big Powerball that I just, just you know, bought a ticket for, I'm going to tithe. And, and we're going to be able to build a whole new sanctuary so we can fit all the people in and we don't have to have five services every weekend. Let me just tell you, the older I get, the bolder I get. Because now I ask them, are you regularly giving a tithe or a tenth of your current income? And they look at me surprised. And almost always the answer is no. And here's what I say next. If you wait until you're rich, you'll never start. Because Pastor Corey said it so well last week, rich people live in denial that they're rich. And here's the second thing I know. 10% 10% of a lot looks even scarier than 10% of a little. So it'll never happen. So I always just say, no matter how rich or poor you might feel right now, start. It's time to be generous now. You're thinking, okay, pastor, but you have no idea how bad it is, how poor I am. Well, maybe I do. I don't know. Linda and I, uh, for seven years of our pastoral ministry in New York, uh, we made $1,000 a month. And uh, I know, that was 40 years ago when we started, and it didn't change for seven years. It was the same. No raises. But $12,000 back then wasn't much either. We qualified for food stamps. We qualified for WIC. We qualified for uh, energy assistance programs. We qualified for all of this stuff. We were poor. We still gave a tenth back to God's work. And actually, generosity really isn't dependent on our finances at all. Generosity begins here in the heart. That's true of anything that has to do with priorities in our lives. You know, priorities in all areas of our lives. Easy to say, hard to do. That's true in marriage. It's true in taking time with our kids. It's true with our diet. It's true with our exercise. It's true in, all, in our finances. You know, it's scary. It takes courage to pull it off. It's hard to stay on course because everything inside of you gets, starts screaming to go the other direction. And here's what I've noticed. I've noticed there's a tendency to think that generosity is for when you have extra money. In other words, when you get to a point of being rich. Now, Pastor Corey reminded us last week that we not, hardly any of us think that we're rich. And if we don't think we're rich, then why would we want to give away what little that we have? But I can tell you from experience. I can tell you from experience when we make generosity a priority, something happens inside of us. Something happens inside of us. We begin to reject the value system that says money is the key to life and happiness. 
And instead, we begin to see that our hope is not in riches, but in him who richly provides. And we actually start going toward the problem instead of hiding from the problem. So Paul tells Timothy, he says, pass this on. Tell them, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In other words, make it a priority. Priority to be generous. When Linda and I first got married 45 years ago, it used to be the first check we wrote when we got paid. I know some of you young ones, you don't even know what I'm talking about, a check. Never heard of that before, right? (laughs) Well, we use the modern way now. Uh, and and uh, we have our Cape Christian app, and uh, uh, we give, we give uh, a, a tenth on the day that we get paid. So we, we do it that way. It's, it's a priority still. It's now automated, but first thing we do. We don't wait to see if we have anything left over at the end and then decide it's a priority. It's a symbolic way for us to say our hope lies not in the provision, Our hope lies in the provider. David Ramsey says it's learning to tell your money where it's going, not the other way around. And on the Gospel of Mark, Jesus uh, teaches a very key principle about this whole thing of keeping our hope from migrating uh, toward ourselves. And and that was back in the day when they had a treasury box up front uh, and, 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 and they came... You know, instead of passing the bucket through the rows, they, they, they didn't have the, you know, the, the latest app uh, at that time. Uh, but they had a box in the front. People walked up, dropped their offering into it. And, and one time while at the temple, the Mark ch- chapter 12 tells Jesus watching person after person come up, cross-section, rich, poor, people dressed with fancy clothes, thrift, hand-me-downs, you know. And an elderly widow comes up to the offering box and produces two small little coins, even points out the fact that they're worth less than a penny. It's an embarrassing, insignificant amount compared to all the prosperous people that had come up and dropped their offering in that treasury box. And here's Jesus' comments on the scene. It says in verse 43, uh, after telling that story in verse 43, it says that calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. He goes on to say in verse 44, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now, you've probably heard that story before, and we get caught up in the emotional part, but I like it. It's It's like my grandma, you know? It's like... Jesus shout out to the little people that's that's kind of where we we leave that sometimes he Jesus has four little old ladies well that's good and that makes me feel good but this story is illustrating a very powerful principle and here's the principle the percentage matters more than the sum that's what he's trying to teach. And so that's the second P in this whole thing of, of how do we get, uh, uh, what, what is the antidote to, to preventing the migration of our hope in the wrong direction? It's percentage giving. All the research and all the statistics show the richer we get, the less we give away. Isn't that incredible? The more extra money we get, the less we consider it extra. And, and so, of course, we tell ourselves, well, our giving goes up because 
the dollar amount goes up. But in terms of percentage, statistically, in churches across all demographics, religious and non-religious, the giving actually goes down. So if you want to guard yourself against this migration of your hope, you can't evaluate in giving in terms of dollars because percentage gives you a lot more reflection of whether you have control over your money or your money has control over you. See, everyone's entrusted with a portion of resources in this life, but we don't all get the same amount. Not in North American culture, not in any other culture anywhere in the world, except for time. Time is, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. But not true with finances, anywhere. So it doesn't make sense to measure our generosity based on the ability to give a certain dollar amount. You see, if Warren Buffett or Bill Gates gives $100 toward some charity, we'd cut a snicker and say, that's not going to protect them from the migration of hope. Now, actually, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are challenging other billionaires to sign a covenant to give away at least 50% of their money to charities by the time that they die. It's called, look it up, Google it. It's called the Giving Pledge. And a lot of billionaires are signing that. But what percentage should I give? That's the question. If it's percentage, what should I give? Well, I'm grateful that my parents uh, taught me to start with 10% because I think they got that from the Bible. Uh, the fact that uh, uh, Bible writers from the opening of the Old Testament in Genesis all the way through had a lot to say about the tithe, which means 10th. So that's the 10%. That's where it comes from. In the New Testament, the teaching is more about the principle than it is a law, as it was in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus teaches it more as a principle. Uh, it's taught as a principle. But Jesus actually affirms that the tithe is a starting point. It's a starting point. Now, I'm quite aware that right in this moment, I know for some of you, this is extremely uncomfortable. But so is a colonoscopy. And... <laughs> And those save countless lives. So, you know, we're not just talking about a good way to be good, to have good deeds. It's not about earning any privilege before God or any of those things. Paul tells Timothy in the context of it being a preventative. It's, a, it's an antidote. It's an immunization against this migration of hope. And here's how I'd summarize it. The most important thing, start somewhere. Start somewhere. Even if it's 5%, even if it's 1%, be bold, be courageous. Start somewhere. That's all I'll say about that. Third P starts, stands for progressive. Progressive giving. If you really want to inoculate yourself against the migration of your hope, don't Overlook this one. This is especially for the 15% that carry the financial weight of this church. To be progressive simply means you raise the percentage over time. You maybe have been given 10% for a really long time, but as your income grows, your financial situation gets more secure and changes and so forth, bump it up to 11%, 12%. A few years ago, during a building campaign, Linda and I decided that God was asking us and calling us to double our giving to 20%. 
And the first 10% had gone to the church for many years and we gave other stuff. So it was a little above, it was above 10%, but we bumped it all the way to, 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 to 20%. Now I was challenging. It was challenging because you know what? It involved some sacrifice on our part. Uh, but giving had become kind of a routine thing. It had been, been something we'd been doing for all of our lives and married lives, and, you know, and, and, and hope has a way of migrating away from God and you feel good about what you have and comfortable. And it's kind of like when bacteria becomes tolerant of antibiotics. You know what I mean? It doesn't work anymore. They have to change them. It has to be, it's ineffective any longer. And the same thing can happen with the giving. You can immunize yourself, though, against that subtle slide toward trusting in your own provision uh, instead of trusting in the provider. Let me just kind of give, give an example in, in, that might help uh, put a picture in your mind. So you have your first job. Maybe you make $20,000 a year. Um, I wish I'd have made $20,000 in my first uh, job, but, uh, but uh, that would have seemed like a lot. But if you're a priority percentage giver, you're giving away, say, at 10%, you're giving away $2,000. Now, that's a lot of money when you're only making $20,000 a year. And that'll impact your heart, believe me. That'll impact your view of money if you're giving away 10% at $20,000 a year. But you fast forward a couple of decades later, and, and, and you've done really well, and things have gone well, and the right situations have opened up, and maybe you're making $200,000 a year, and the kids are gone, and, and you know the house is paid off, and the retirement funds are, are, are doing great, and, and uh, you're still giving 10%, and that's a whopping $20,000 a year. But you realize that, you know, you really can live pretty comfortably on $80,000 a year. And, uh, and, and so you still have this extra $100,000 a year. Now, if I just described you, congratulations, that's awesome, because you've been maybe a faithful giver all these years. You've maintained a lifestyle, Pastor Corey talked about last week, a financial margin in your life. But it is a chance that you might be experiencing the migration of your hope because you're proud of the fact of how well you've done over the last few decades. And, and because of that, any problem that comes up, you've got extra money to for, throw toward it and fix it. And, and, and you're tempted to forget where your hope lies. And the solution is to adjust your giving percentage along with your financial situation. I know of a younger family in this church, uh, I think they're in their late 30s, early 40s, uh, that their goal is to get to a point of, uh, of a reverse tithe, living on 10% and giving away 90%. That's their goal. Now, you know, they've, they've, they've done well, financial comfort, they know that it can be a good thing, but they're quite aware how vulnerable they are to this migration of hope. So they regularly bump up their immunization by increasing the percentage a little bit on a regular basis. You see, when Jenner introduced this whole thing of inoculations, it was, it, it, there was no other preventative to, 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 to smallpox. All you could do was react to it. But now he gave a new option. We could develop a plan. I think that's your banker calling. Uh, I heard that phone, yeah. Uh, he says, go ahead and give it. Go ahead, go ahead. He's, you, trust God. Yeah. Uh, just, just joking, just joking. But there was a plan for smallpox. Generosity isn't something you just do 
kind of because you have to or any other kinds of, it's not a reaction, it's not a guilt thing, it's, it, it's not an emotional thing, uh, it, it's a plan to prevent this hope migrating. It's something you do, not what you wait to do when you have more, it's something you practice constantly so you'll know what to do when you have more. Part of a plan. It's a preventative. And here's what I've observed. I've observed that without a plan, we tend to be spontaneous, spur of the moment, guilt, whatever, driven, sporadic, and statistics show more sparing, sparing givers. Because generosity is just following a plan. Keep your giving consistent. Keep it in proportion to your, your, your changing situation. Apostle Paul commanded us to be generous, and it wasn't because he wanted our money. It wasn't because he thought God was running short that month and desperately needed more. It wasn't that at all. It was because he wanted to make sure he didn't want our money to have us. Generosity is the antidote. It's the antidote for this dizzying effects that wealth has in our culture. It's going toward the problem rather than hiding from the problem. One of the things I've loved about the last 33 years of pastoring in this church is that we live by a code. It's one of 12 that are out there on the uh, uh, lobby walls. Go out and take a look at all 12 of them. And it says this. It says that we are passionate givers of our time, money, and energy. We are blessed so we can be a blessing. And this is a generous church. Our goal is always to give away at least 10% of everything that comes in to other ministries and other missions uh, beyond this campus and this church. We help other churches uh, to, to get started in this city, church plants. And over the last three decades, decisions have been made repeatedly over and over again to be generous, to be generous. Some of you were around seven, eight years ago when we had this conversation. The families of Cape Christian made a several million dollar investment in the families of Cape Coral by building this splash pad, the playgrounds, the pavilions, uh, the cafe. We call this Fellowship Park. We gave up building an auditorium at that time to bless our city first. We opened our hands. We blessed our community. And this church has been abundantly blessed before and especially since. And I feel incredibly blessed. One of the blessings that, I ha that Linda and I have is five, we have five grandchildren. Our oldest two are right here in Fort Myers. They just turned uh, 10 and uh, 14. And the other three are in Jacksonville. You see them up on the screen there. There's twins that are, that are six and our youngest. Oh my gosh. She's 17 months old and uh, she is Wonder Woman. Her name is Ava Grace, and uh, this year is her first year at Halloween. We were there last year at Halloween when she, we carried in her arms up and down the street as the twins went, and they had a big picnic on their street in the cul-de-sac and so on. This year, we were out in Oregon uh, uh, over Halloween visiting my 87-year-old mother, and so we texted our daughter, Carissa, 
And uh, we asked her, how did Ava do going trick-or-treat this year with her older brother and sister for the first time? Was she scared of the kids' costumes uh, or whatever? And our daughter texted back. And uh, uh, she said she had fun. But here's what she said. She said, we gave her a basket. Uh, uh, It was a little bit like this. That's not the actual basket, but a little bit like this. So we gave her a basket, but did, she didn't realize she should put candy in it. And she got candy from two houses, and once her little hands couldn't hold any more candy, she stopped going to the doors. I know, that broke Grandpa's heart too. Yeah. Because you know what? Ava missed out on the abundance that was waiting for her down the street of all the other houses because she didn't know that she should empty her hands to have room for more. This is not her candy, but I have some candy here. Just to show you, her hands are a little smaller than mine. But maybe you have your hands full of God's candy. God's candy that he's blessed you with. And maybe today you're finding it difficult to release it. I'm just saying God can't bless you with more in the way that he would like to as long as you just hold on to everything that you've got in there. And that makes me sad. I know it makes God sad if you can't have all that he wants to bless you with. So my friends, never forget as a church, as individuals, that's our calling. We were, we are blessed. We are blessed. Blessed to be a blessing. Let's pray. God, I don't know what all you want to do in our lives, but we are so incredibly grateful for the blessings you've given us. Filled with gratitude that we have been blessed with so very much. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to nudge us where we need to be nudged today in this area of generosity. And give courage to those that need to release what is in their hands so they can receive everything that you have for them. I pray you'll give us that kind of boldness, that kind of courage in the days ahead. And we give thanks in your name.